This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Josh Goldman, who I now see on camera, live and in person, um, with the most impressive COVID mop I've ever seen adorning his uh, his dome. So, Josh, it is, it is looking good. I can't even call it a COVID cut because you haven't cut it at all. So this is, this is all. a COVID crop for sure. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's getting out of control. It's one of those things where I was outside walking around today, uh, taking a few photos. I've been getting into uh, film photography lately, and I was taking some photos, and it was so hot that the mop just you know flowed right into my face, and that that's annoying. So I think I'm gonna have to wear a hat most of the time if I'm out. Keep that pulled back. No, you should just get like uh, get some barrettes, you know, and just pin it back. It's it's getting to the point where I think I could do like the little tiny like top knot thing. Yeah, not not quite there yet, but but getting close for sure. The front man bun. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Zach, it is September eighth. Is it is it indeed snowing? It is where yes. you are. Uh, it is yes. I in fact, um, I just That's drove. Crazy. I, I was literally just on the streets. It's late here, but I was coming from my church where I was teaching a, a class on theodicy, which is basically the problem of evil and how evil is, is uh, consistent with the idea of God's existence. And uh, was just driving back on these roads and the snow is not yet accumulating on the roads, but it is in my yard and wow. on the, on the grassy surfaces around town. So yeah, September 8th, it is snowing. I think yesterday the high was 91 degrees here. If I'm not that mistaken, is insane. That's and now insane. it's snowing. Yeah. And, and, uh, there are other areas of Colorado that are getting hit harder than us. We, I think, are forecasted for three to five inches tonight, uh, last wow. I checked. So, yeah. Wow. So, I'm sure your your, your children are excited. They've, they've got to be looking forward to to getting out a little bit in the snow. They are super excited. And we were actually trying to temper expectations a little bit and say, <laughs> like, guys, case. it's going to snow, but it's not going to stay cold that long. So, you probably won't get a chance to really play in much of anything. It'll probably be slush, et cetera. But they're still super excited. Yeah, I'm looking at the extended forecast for where you live. It looks like we're looking at back into the 80s next week. So this is just crazy. I'm fascinated by weather like this because I just don't understand like how it could be so hot, then so cold. I mean, I'm sure a meteorologist could tell us, but, you know, it's just fascinating to me. I, I, I really enjoy looking at the weather on my phone. It's one of my favorite apps that I can access. I mean, that's a pretty well that's a pretty well documented hobby. People are big time weather geeks. I have some friends yeah. who are really into the weather and they have all the weather Doppler radar apps on their phone. I personally have never been really fascinated by it. I track it pretty carefully because I'm an outdoors person and I like to do sure. things outdoors, but I mean, you know, I could take it or leave it. The, uh, all the intricacies of storm fronts and all that, but this is kind of interesting, September 8th and it's snowing. It's, it's, uh, definitely the earliest snow I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. Well, the good news is you are, you're inside now and, and ready to podcast. Let's do it. We're going to do uh, season four, episode 10 tonight, uh, and it is called Salud. Yeah, good episode. It is. It really is. Let's start with the two-minute summary. Uh, there's some big stuff that happens in here, and then uh, we'll break it down from there. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, two-minute summary, courtesy of Wikipedia. Skyler has saw concoct a story about an inheritance to give Ted enough money to pay off his back taxes. Ted promptly leases a Mercedes classic Ted. That's a, that's my editorial, <laughs> not the wiki summary. 
and refuses to pay his back taxes, telling Skyler he wants to get his business back up and running first and hire a tax lawyer to try and negotiate a better deal with the IRS. Skyler reveals that she was the source of his windfall. Excellent use of the word windfall, by the way. Yeah, great, great use. Walter Jr. finds Walt at his apartment, bloodied and incoherent after his fight with Jesse, and stays to take care of him. The next morning, Walt shares a rare moment of vulnerability with his son. Jesse, Mike, and Gus fly to the cartel's meth lab in Mexico. After a successful cook, Jesse is informed that he now belongs to the cartel. When they go to Don Eladio's estate to celebrate their alliance, Gus poisons Don Eladio and kills all of his men. But he himself is poisoned as well, and Mike is shot while they escape. The end. What do you think? What's the letter grade there? This is pretty good. This hits all the major points. I mean, it certainly doesn't it certainly doesn't get to sort of the the massiveness of that last scene, the the poolside murder spree that Gus goes on. But I think it does hit on all the main points. It It's not the worst written thing in the world. And yeah, I'd give it a, I'd, I'd say a B is fine with me. How about you? I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to go B, B plus, uh, maybe wow. even a, I would say borderline B plus, A minus, but I'll stick with B plus. Yeah. The, the, the coveted A is very difficult to get, but no, I agree with you. I, this is, uh, I mean, they get bonus points for using the word windfall correctly. Uh, I'll yeah. say that. And no, I think this is, it's very well done, um, you know, including sharing a rare moment of vulnerability as Walt does with uh, his son. Um, yeah. And I, I will say too, that the other good thing about this is, is that the episode sort of jumps back and forth between a bunch of different things. I think that the, the, uh, summary writer here was smart to sort of not go sequentially as the episode did because it'll get a little confusing so for example jesse mike and gus fly to the cartel that happens at the very beginning of the episode but they sort of just bookend everything together here so that it's easier for the the reader to to understand yeah that's a good point so uh maybe the highest rated summary to date i think i can't think of one that was higher rated by both of us it's good it's good well, let's go on to the newest section of our podcast, Josh. We are now going to talk about trivia and bloopers um, for each episode because there's some fun stuff to talk about. I've been, you know, perusing the Breaking Bad fandom interwebs. There's a Breaking Bad fandom wiki, and that's where I get most of these um, trivia and bloopers that I that I will be talking about on the show. So for this episode, we've got a few things. Um, one, if you uh, notice the scene where Gus uh, tries to, well, successfully does indeed uh, vomit the poison in his stomach so that he doesn't die. He goes into the bathroom, turns the faucet on so that he he the noise covers up what he's doing in there from the henchman who's outside. And then he gets down and, you know, basically kneels over the toilet. Well, when you look at him actually uh, successfully, um, you know, we'll say triggering his gag reflex, uh, the faucet is now off. So that's a continuity uh, error. Um, also this one's, this one's interesting and pretty nerdy, but Walt in his moment of vulnerability talks with Walt Jr. slash Flynn slash breakfast about, uh, Huntington's disease and says that his dad died of it when he was six and that he was tested as well at the time because his mom was terrified that he had it or, you know, had the, had the gene for it, et cetera. But the, uh, the gene for that disease, which is a horrible degenerative, um, neurodegenerative disorder. Uh, the gene was for that was not identified until 1993, so Walt could not have been genetically tested for it at age six, um, unless he's, I guess, way, way, way younger than we think he is. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, he didn't really turn 50 in the very first episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so that's another one, and then this is maybe the most interesting one to me. I didn't pick up on it uh, watching this through, um, but apparently, and I confirmed this with some visual stuff later. 
The number eight appears very prominently throughout this episode. Uh, it's a tail number in the aircraft. There's a cloud formation that looks like it. Most interestingly, the bruise on Jesse's face, which is, it's it's pretty remarkable, but if you look carefully, it is, in fact, in the shape of an eight. Um, uh, all, all are number eight. And there's some some different thinking on, on why that is, but uh, one of the leading theories on the interwebs seems to be that it is a reference to Hermanos, which is episode eight of this season, the same one in which Gus is at poolside with Don Eladio and his previous partner, Max, and Max gets killed. Um, I was thinking, what else could this be? I mean, there is, like, eight um, has some, you know, geometrical symmetry associated with it, so maybe there's some eye-for-an-eye thing going on with the Gus versus Don Eladio. I also thought maybe it's because Gus kills eight people at the poolside, but then I, I counted them up, and count including Don Eladio, it's at least ten and that's not counting the guy that Jesse shoots later, so that doesn't quite check out either. I also did find, however, that uh, in my in my interwebs scouring, that in Colombia and Venezuela, volverse un ocho uh, means to tie oneself in a figure eight, and it refers to getting in trouble or contradicting oneself. So, uh, Don Eladio was volverse un ocho, perhaps? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite explanation could be that it's one of those things where you know, brings us full circle. So if you think about drawing an eight, it, it's sort of you start and end in the same place. And so if you look back to the Hermanos episode, I guess if you if you don't draw it as two circles, depends on how you draw the draw the eight, I guess. The way that I draw my eight is I start and end at the same place and, you know, right in the middle of the eight. And so, you know, this brings us full circle from the episode Hermanos back to you know, this, the end of this episode in the same place where Gus's story is resolved with Don Eladio. Yeah. And I will just say, if you're drawing a, if you're drawing an eight in a way that you do not begin and end the same place, you're probably drawing an eight wrong. I mean, yeah, I, guess I guess if you draw like two, yeah, two just, circles. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's no that's way a, to draw an eight. It's a weird way. <laughs> if any of our listeners do that, please don't tell us because we will judge you harshly. <laughs> or what, well, what we'll really do is judge your handwriting teacher from elementary school. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, fair. That's no, fair. I mean an eight should be done like a like a like a dancer doing a figure eight. It's the most exactly. efficient way to to use those pen strokes. Exactly. Now <clears> I'm now I'm trying to think. Do I draw an eight correctly? <laughs> I'm, I'm starting. I'm starting to worry. Do you do the myself. two circles. <laughs> yeah. Do I do the two circles? What do I do? That's funny. Oh boy. Oh boy. There are definitely some letters that I do not do correctly. Uh, oh D, yeah. D is one of them. I'm supposed to. You're supposed to like start with the swirl on the D and then do the stem. And then back yeah. down, and I definitely do you start stem. With stem. Yeah, I do. Wow. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good do at all. Do you stem with the P too? Uh, yes. Do up, you not up stem? No, no, no. Oh, I, I guess down you, stem. I, I guess you. I guess yeah, you, yeah. yeah. I guess you start with the down stem. No, but I think with the D, like you should be doing most of your writing left to right. But what I do is, yeah. you know, That's down right. stem and then the circle. So a Q. Do you do uh, Q? I start with. Yeah, I do that correctly. I start with circle. Right. That's that. Yeah, is that yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. No, so I just don't do the D consistent. Sometimes I do the circle first, but most of the time I do stem first. It's not good. It's not good. Well, now we know which podcast we're going to do after we finish Breaking Bad. We're going to do a handwriting analysis. <laughs> oh, it's going to be podcast. great. It's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. <laughs> so, yeah. broader thoughts and themes, Josh. Before we dive into the favorite scene moment, etc., I was going to ask you. Um, Walt Jr. features prominently in this episode. Is this finally his moment to get your MVP nod? You want to know? I was watching this episode and I thought to myself, <laughs> I'm actually pretty impressed. Oh, I have wow. to say, look at you. I think he does a really good job. It is hard to go up against Brian Cranston in an emotionally driven scene. 
and he does a really good job. It feels very real. It feels very vulnerable as, as the summary pointed out to us. It just felt I, and, and it might be because I'm now a father myself and I have a son. And, and so I can sort of see both sides of this conversation. And I don't know, I, I was really impressed. Now I don't think he'll get the MVP, but he was a, certainly a, a, a good sparring partner for Brian Cranston in this. So I, I will, uh, I will admit defeat when it happens. All right. Wow. Uh, that was not the answer I was expecting. So, uh, you're surprising me. Well, I think, I think sometimes, so for those, for those breaking bad listeners who might not, or, or breaking pod listeners who might not know the actor who plays, who plays Walt jr. I think his name is RJ Mitt or, or Mitty. I don't know. How I pronounce it Mitty, but I, that could be wrong. Yeah. M I T T E. Yes. So his condition is cerebral palsy. Is that what the character has? Yes. And the actor has that in real life. It's not as severe as as the character has it on, on the show. So what he does is he sort of plays up some of the more severe uh, symptoms and side effects. And so I think that sometimes he's not as effective with that as and, and it comes off a little cartoonish. And I, I don't think he's doing that on purpose. And I certainly don't mean to diminish the actual symptoms and and things that people go through with that, uh, that with that disease but in this scene in particular it just it felt very real and so i thought he did a really nice job well i think he has a huge challenge because cerebral palsy is a condition that affects motor movement yeah and and because of that if you're if number one if you're an actor who has that condition but number two if you are trying to sort of accentuate that condition for a role it then becomes really, really difficult to do all the things that a a, a non-disabled actor can can do with ease, right? And so right. he really is kind of fighting an uphill battle there. I will say it's cool. Um, RJ Mitty, when you know he does have cerebral palsy, like you mentioned, Josh. I guess when he first started to get into acting, he worked with an agent, and they actually sought out roles for him that would highlight cerebral palsy as a disability to to uh, raise awareness for viewers, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, there's a, uh, I'm the, the name, the name's escaping me. I think it's Jason somebody, but he's an announcer for the white Sox. He also has cerebral palsy and his story has been really cool. And he's been able to educate, um, white Sox baseball viewers on that, uh, and listeners on the radio broadcast. And he's really, really good at his job too, which is, which is cool. Uh, and I, I think it's great when people who have disabilities are able to succeed in what others have thought of as you know, roles or positions for people without disabilities. And then kids who have those disabilities can look at those people and say, I can do that too. And it's, it's gotta be super inspiring. Yeah. I think it's very cool that they cast him in the show and, and that they, you know, highlighted this disability. I just think that sometimes they, it seems like they don't give him anything to do. Yeah. And so, you know, his only line is, did you make me cereal or waffles for breakfast. I mean, that is not, that's not necessarily, you know, showcasing what an actor can do, but that's not on him. That's more on his place in the story. And as we've discussed before, kids in TV shows sometimes can be a little hit and miss. Yeah, completely. I mean, I think it's hard for writers to know how to write kids into shows. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think, I think your criticism is spot on. And I'm trying to think of another character who has, a sort of bit part like that where he, he doesn't have the ability to shine. I mean, I can think of actors uh, or characters like Ted Beneke who don't shine with the opportunities they're given. 
Um, but at least he's given a lot, like he's given a lot of dialogue. There's some moments with him and Skyler where like he can really sort of ration up the tension. And I think he just sort of yeah. doesn't, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's the character more than the actor. So not, a, not even a criticism of the actor per se, but, um, yeah, I think Walt Jr. just doesn't have those opportunities. Um, and so I, I do agree with you that in this episode, I think he did very, did very well that, that moment between Walt and, and, uh, Walt Jr. is is a very tender moment and a moment of surprising vulnerability that we just don't normally see from Walt and that certainly Walt Jr. never sees from his father. Yeah, I think the problem with kids in TV shows is that you give them a problem and the audience is automatically going to think they're not mature enough. They're, that's why they are encountering a certain problem or, you know, they're they are a nuisance or something like that. Whereas an adult, you expect them to be more for, fully formed. So when they, they encounter a problem, you can sort of see like how they might've gotten into it, how they could get out of it. So I just think you run into a lot of issues with having kids have significant storylines in an adult TV show. Well, while we're, while we're on the topic, Josh, let's just go ahead and play a portion of that scene between him and Walt, because that'll maybe sort of help frame this discussion a little bit. But this is, uh, this is Walt's, Moment of vulnerability between him and Walt Jr. That is the only real memory that I have of my father. I don't want you to think of me the way I was last night. I don't want that to be the memory you have of me when I'm gone. Remembering you that way... Well, wouldn't be so bad. The bad way to remember you would be the way, the way you've been this whole last year. At least last night, you were, you were real, you know? And that's where I'll stop it there, Josh. As you know, it goes on a little bit longer, but that, that I think captures the essence of it there. Uh, pretty crushing scene. And I think really crushing as a father to hear that. I don't think Walt's too happy to hear that. Yeah, this was my, so I guess we could just jump right in. This was my pick for best writing of the episode. And the reason that I picked it as my best writing is a couple of reasons, but the main one is that it's just, I, I love the fact that the, the writers were able to point to the fact that Walt thinks that he's been doing all of this for his family. And then to have his son come in and say, actually, this whole last year has been a nightmare for me as your as your child. You haven't been there for me. I don't feel like we have a good relationship. And that's just that's just super powerful to, to realize. And it's not done in a way that feels forced. It feels like a very natural thing that that a that a teenager might say to their their parent after basically a year of absence from their life. And so I really like that they were able to incorporate, you know, the the actual father-son relationship here and we're able to see this this different side of both of these characters that we don't usually get to see that also sort of drives the the characters forward as they make their next decisions. Yeah, and I think this scene to me underscores why this this so you you probably remember Josh when we first um when we first you know released the teaser for Breaking Pod our podcast I described this show as an almost Shakespearean tragedy and this scene perhaps more than ninety five percent of the dramatic scenes in this show illustrates 
that point that, you know, Walt has been trying so hard to do all these terrible things, going to great lengths to preserve the one thing he wants to preserve, namely his family. And now he has this conversation where he realizes that not even despite the things that he's trying to do, but in fact, because of the things that he's trying to do, that he has pushed away his family. And that, that I think is why this is, this is very sort of Shakespearean in its tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's pretty terrible. All right. Well, that was your best writing nomination. Uh, my best writing nomination is the same as your best scene nomination. And this is right after Gus and Jesse arrive in Mexico uh, we learn that, well, we know in advance that Jesse's there to help them learn how to cook meth. There's obviously more to the story as Jesse comes to find out. But right now he's he's king of the lab. He's walking around and he's telling their very educated chemist who probably has the same level of formal education in chemistry that, for example, Gail Bedecker does. I mean, he, he knows what he's doing, but he can't get the meth to the level of purity that, that Walt or even Jesse can. So Jesse is telling him how it's going to be. I speak English. So you understand what asshole means. Now go get me my phenylacetic acid. Asshole. How long is it going to take you to get him what he needs? I don't know. I have no idea. Several hours at least. I can wait. Gives us time to talk about the state of this lab. Don't you have standards? I mean, this place is disgusting. All right, we're gonna scour every vat, every tank, every cook surface. And then we're gonna clean up every possible source of contamination. And only then we cook. Comprende? Who do you think you are? I'm the guy your boss brought here to show you how it's done. And if this is how you run your lab, no wonder. You're lucky he hasn't fired your ass. Now, if you don't want that to happen, I suggest you stop whining like a little bitch and do what I say. So I love the uh, newfound confidence that Jesse has here. Uh, I love the, the dialogue and how it flows. I also love how this mirrors the dialogue that we had uh, already witnessed between Walt and Jesse in uh, Fly the episode where there's a the fly contaminant and Walt goes on a great soliloquy about how they can't cook until the lab is rid of contaminants. He uses the exact same word. Uh, and then finally, I love how Gus is watching this and there's like a little smirk on his face. Like he's almost proud of Jesse. He's like seeing Jesse step into this role and tell off the cartel's chemist about it. And I really like, like that whole thing. Why'd you select it as your best scene, Josh? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I like your choice for best scene. It probably is the quote unquote best choice, which we're going to talk about in a second. But the reason that I picked this as my best scene is because I really like how there's a shift in Jesse. When he first gets there, he's really nervous and he doesn't understand what the guy's saying. And he's like, I don't know what to do. It's not labeled the way that I'm used to. They don't even have the right chemicals. But he has a switch in him. And it just it shows like a character growth that we hadn't seen before, where all of a sudden he decides that he's going to take on a confident role here with the things that he does know. He knows the lab needs to be clean. So that's what he says. He sort of puts on this. I, I don't even know if he necessarily believes it himself, but the the air of confidence that he's exuding here 
makes the audience believe that he believes that. And so while he might be super scared and not sure what's going to happen next, which he expressly laid out to Walt in the previous episode before he went down there, I just like that there is this shift that we see. And I like the I like these confrontations where you're not where you don't go where you're expecting to go because it does start out where Jesse is super nervous and he, there's a huge language barrier there, but I liked that There's a shift and, you know, clearly he says things that are probably not necessarily accurate. Like he says, I'm surprised he hasn't fired you. Well, that probably means like, I'm surprised he hasn't killed you. Like he's not saying the, the prop, the accurate things, but he's saying what he feels to be most true. Also, can I just add, is the, the guy, the the Mexican lead chemist, is he British? Like when he starts speaking in English, it sounds a little British. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a British accent for sure. Yeah, I'm like, OK, well, maybe he's not from Mexico originally. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I actually think that I think that actor is British. I will uh, okay. I'll look it up while we're talking about uh, about your best moment nomination. But I think he is yeah. British. I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, maybe he uh, maybe he you know, the character, maybe the character like was educated in in british universities and yeah. then uh yeah, yeah. moved to mexico to cook for the cartel yeah he's got I, a good just, voice though i would definitely listen to that oh, radio voice definitely i i just i think that i picked it ultimately because i did not remember what happened in this scene you know on a rewatch and i was surprised and when you can be surprised on a rewatch of a show i think that that's uh that's pretty exciting because i was not super surprised by your choice for best scene it's a huge huge moment and yeah i mean how can you not you, yeah recognize as you that point one. out it it takes up most of the latter quarter of the episode so you know I, I i think that mostly it was because i was pleasantly surprised by this moment between jesse and the mexican cartel chemist yeah completely agree let's talk about best moments real quick josh and then we'll do that best scene so what is your nomination for best moment i think it comes from the same uh the same uh, at least set right in the lab there yeah, yeah, it's a very small thing and it's probably only my best moment because of the current time we're living in in the United States. But while Jesse is demonstrating how to do this cook, there are I don't know, maybe like 50 people in the lab watching and taking notes. And of course, when they're doing all this this high-tech chemistry work, they're they need to be wearing masks. And my first thought was when I was watching it again was, oh good, they're all practicing proper mask wearing and social distancing and, you know, just like this this vernacular that we have in our current, you know, time just because of the pandemic we're going through. I just thought it was funny and a little bit prescient that, you know, all these people are wearing masks. So it's not a huge thing, but I just liked it as my best moment. Yeah, I like that. Mine is a very short moment, but this is going back to the Walt and Walter Jr. interaction. This is as uh, as Walt Jr. helps his dad get in bed and he sets him to bed. And then um, Walt, in this day's stupor, asks Walt Jr. if he likes the car. And then uh, and then he says something else that he definitely should not have said. How was your birthday? Good. Get Get some rest. The new car. Did you, did you drive it here? Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's good. You like it? Uh, sure. It, I I do. It it drives great. 
That's good, Jesse. So uh, I like the moment there because it gives Walt Jr. pause. Like, why did he just call me Jesse? It also underscores, as we've said before so many times, the father-son relationship between Walt and Jesse. And when we see Walt crying, we haven't talked about that yet, but when Walt is crying in front of Walt Jr. because he feels so bad, I think really he's crying because he knows that he has irreparably damaged the relationship between him and Jesse, who is his his son figure. Um, and then the final thing is, this, of course, is like this is not the first time this kind of thing has gotten Walt in trouble because uh, this very closely parallels the incident where he was getting put to sleep with anesthesia and Skyler asked about the cell phone and he said, which one? <laughs> Thereby confirming that he had a second cell phone. So not even the first time that he's gotten in trouble with his his a, a family member because he is over medicated and, and let slip while he is you know drifting out of consciousness. So. Uh, I thought that was kind of a, a funny moment. Also sad, but funny too. Yeah, and don't forget that he had a moment in Fly where he almost revealed to Jesse that he was the one who was the cause of Jane's death, and that was because he was, you know, oh, on sleeping pills. Good yeah, point. So it's a pretty, you know, th- three's a three's a you know a trend here. So uh, he does not have very good track record with almost revealing information. Also, if you'll uh, let me let me entertain a, a pet theory briefly here, I think that Walt is concussed uh, after the fight with Jesse. I don't think all of this is is easily chalked up to painkillers. Um, I mean, especially the crying um, sitting next to Walt Jr. All of that's very out of character for Walt, and that can certainly happen. Does maybe not frequently, but it does happen with concussion you know, traumatic brain injury, um, patients. Uh, I remember several years ago and Luke Keekley, who's now retired actually because of, you know, repeated concussions and health concerns, retired from the Carolina Panthers. He's a, a former NFL linebacker, really, really good player. But I remember seeing him get a concussion once in a game and he was just actually sitting there like days on the field and, and crying. And it was such a bizarre thing and a sad thing to see this grown man, you know, massively strong NFL athlete, you know, reduce the tears because of a, what is, you know, ultimately a, a brain injury. And uh, I think there's something similar going on here with Walt. It also, like, it could explain the kind of personality change when he does show this immense vulnerability. Um, it also might have implications for what we're going to talk about in the next episode after this. Um, but we can, we can dive into that more at a later time. But I just wonder, is there something more going on here? Is he concussed? And there's no, there's no answer. There never will be. Uh, but it's an interesting thing to think about. If only Ben and Omalu got a hold of Walt's brain after, yeah. you know, he he eventually passes away one day, then we would know the true answer. He could find Was out if he, he had, yeah, exactly, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, we can talk about our last scene here now, Josh. Uh, there's, I mean, honestly, I don't have a ton to say on this except it's super dramatic. It, it is obviously the poolside scene where, um, where Gus poisons everyone. Um, I do have one nit to pick on this and I, I will say there's no, I, I'm not going to play any audio. It's, uh, entirely in Spanish, um, subtitles. There's some powerful visuals, but it's also a very long extended scene. It's, it runs, I think more than 12 minutes start to finish, uh, which is more than a quarter of the entire episode. Um, and it, it obviously, you know, ends with this here. Um, very intense as the viewer, especially the first time you don't know what's going on. You don't know what the end game is. You don't understand what's happening. You know that Gus hates Don Eladio, but you see Gus drink the tequila, uh, the same tequila that Don Eladio drinks. So you're like, is this a murder suicide? What's going on here? 
and obviously that's not what happens because Gus excuses himself and and uh, is able to vomit up the poison or at least you know some of it so he doesn't die but it's a really really dramatic scene also a little bit disturbing when like Don Eladio falls into the pool face down etc it's it's pretty gruesome and dark um, and Jesse is just a first time viewer right like he didn't know what the plan was he was he was literally like central to the plan and he had no idea what was going on and all of a sudden all of a sudden guys start dropping dead around him and he's just flabbergasted um, but it is quite a dramatic scene uh, quite powerful it obviously parallels the Hermano scene in episode eight. Again, perhaps the reason for the number eights in the episode. Uh, and Gus finally gets his revenge. Yeah, it's a it's a great scene and it's it's uh, really impactful. Obviously, it's going to have long lasting implications on sort of like the cartel's involvement in the show. And, you know, I just feel like I don't know. We, we should talk about like the, the actual plan here because so Gus brought the poisoned liquor, right? And he is shown taking some sort of a pill. Did you catch this before he ingests the liquor? Yes. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what is, is, that, is that an antidote or what? I, I don't know because then he then goes and throws it up, which seems to indicate that he knew that he was going to be poisoned and needed to get it out of his system. So I'm not really sure what the pill was about. I, I, it was a little confusing. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, I mean, the pill could either be an antidote, but it would obviously only be partially effective, hence yeah. why Gus would still need to try to vomit. Or the pill could actually be, um, I forget what I forget what the medical term is called, but a, a uh, substance that actually encourages uh, vomiting, basically, right? So, mm, so it yeah, hel- yeah. Helps, helps kind of purge the system. Uh, I don't know, but I mean, obviously it was only partially effective because Gus almost dies anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty risky, dangerous plan. Um, I did like how, you know, w- when you're watching it as a first time viewer, you, you know, something's up when Gus makes sure that Jesse doesn't drink. Right. And says he's like, yeah, a, he's an addict. He can't touch the stuff while he's cooking, etc. Um, but yeah, I mean, risky plan, I guess, you know, what would have happened if Don Eladio just chose not to drink it then? Um, I don't know. I mean, Gus had some confidence going there. I also think Gus's poker face really could have used some work throughout yeah. the whole thing. Uh, like he, it was, it was pretty clear that he was furious at Don Eladio from the beginning and Don Eladio was still like, let's drink this, this stuff. I mean, I, I don't think for example, I mean, Don Eladio was obviously satisfied when Gus drank it. I don't think though that like a murder suicide would be out of the question for Gus. I mean, Don Eladio is someone he absolutely hates. And I think for someone who, I mean, Gus, is clearly sociopathic or at least has, you know, sociopathic tendencies. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think a murder suicide is out of the question for him. I think that might be something that is like a, a, an acceptable sacrifice for Gus, but Don Eladio doesn't seem to think so because as soon as Gus drinks it, Don Eladio is like, ah, salud. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're in this too. And you know, all my men, by the way, also not sure. Like if it is such expensive tequila that Don Eladio loves, why does he share it with nine of his dudes? Around yeah, why is it why is it open? Yeah, like he doesn't he doesn't pop a seal or anything. That's a good question. There's not too. even there's not even a piece of tape on there. Yeah, good. It good just point. sort of pops open. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, he does wait. He does wait for Gus to take a drink too. Yes. Like he's not he's not just going to drink without Gus drinking. But right. I mean, yeah, I don't I don't usually consume things that that are unsealed. Like you don't go to the grocery store and you're like that bag of chips is open. I think I'll take that one. <laughs> this looks delicious. 
I, I will also add, I mean, this is kind of transitioning into our nits to pick, but I will add one nit to pick, which is why did Gus wait so long to go to the bathroom? Yeah. I have no idea. When you when you pointed this out, I was like, that's such a good point. Yeah, I mean, if I had just ingested poison, I would, and like, you know, because Donaldi was like, bring the girls, and all the girls came out. That's that's the moment where I would have been like, I'm going to use the restroom. And yeah, I might have actually been like, as soon as I drank it, I'll be like, I gotta pee. Sorry. <laughs> Broke the seal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was a lot of liquid. That was a lot of liquid. Yep. Goes right through. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So that's, 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 that's really my one nit to pick for this entire episode. Did you have any? Yeah, I had one nit to pick and then I wanted to point out one other thing. My my nit to pick is that in this episode, we are seeing the celebration of Walt Jr.'s 16th birthday and Walt Jr. or RJ Mitty looks like he's 30. So I do not buy that he is 16. You know, like I know that they usually cast and, and the kids obviously age faster than than adults or at least visibly. Um, he does not look 16 in the slightest. What I will also add to this is I wanted to talk briefly about the present he received, which is the the car. And I wanted to make sure that I got the correct the correct car. And so I Googled. I thought it was a PT Cruiser. It is. There is a whole Reddit thread about the PT Cruiser. And it, the, the title of the thread is the PT Cruiser. Seriously, Skylar? I just need to read a little bit of this because it's pretty funny rant that this person goes on. Quote, just need to rant. Why would you buy your teenage son a lilac purple PT Cruiser? It's a mom car. You take away his Challenger and then give him that? Seriously, how could you ever think he would want to be seen driving a car like that? He's a freaking kid and has a rough enough time as it is. I've seen the show so many times and every time it drives me mad. You'd have to be so clueless. I can't even think of one car that would be worse than that for him. Sorry for the rant. Needed to get it out. And then there's a bunch of replies. that are, There's 25 replies about how mad people are that Skylar chose a PT Cruiser. I think that's super funny. I love it, but it's also so true. Like, you see you see her do that. You're like, the PT Cruisers ceased being cool in, like, 2002. Yeah, absolutely. And that color, I mean, no, you don't get that for for your son who's who already has a hard time fitting in and is certainly not in the cool crowd like you're gonna get that for him i mean come on i'll also add um rj mitty by the way much younger than i thought he was he is only 28 years old he just turned 28 uh, oh wow three weeks ago august 21st 1992 and so when this aired in in 2011 he had just turned 19 okay all right he looks he looks a lot older i agree i totally agree yeah but but it wasn't, I mean, 19 isn't, I mean, yeah, sure. 19 year olds can look way older than 16 year olds, but not that far off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'll leave you with this on the PT cruiser. Oh, please do. This, this person responded to the initial comment. When I was in high school, my parents had to rent a car on short notice and it was a PT cruiser. I could swear it was Walt <laughs> Jr.'s color too. I cringed. <laughs> I cringed so badly being just the passenger in it one time. I'm pretty sure my mom just refused to ride in it. That's great. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. So if you're ever, I'm going to send you this and we can link this uh, thread Perfect. in the show notes Sounds because good. it's worth reading. Uh, the only other end loose end I'll tie up here. Uh, I said I would look up the actor who plays the cartel chemist. It is Carlo Rota. And I can't find out if he's a British national, but he is. He was indeed born in England and has lived okay. a lot a lot of uh, time, in, spent a lot of time in England uh, as well as Hong Kong, Italy, the Bahamas and Canada. So um, three of those places are you know, British English speaking, uh, Canada, I guess kind of a hodgepodge. Um, but 
but anyway, it, it's a genuine accent. He actually is British, at least in in uh, uh, linguistically speaking. So, yeah, definitely. All right, time for our MVP votes, Josh. Who do you have for this episode? Most valuable player. Yeah, this is tough, but I think that, you know, I was going back and forth and I thought maybe I could give it to Walt, but I think you have to give it to Gus here. He changes the trajectory of uh, of the story in the season and moving forward with his big play down in Mexico. And so I think for that reason alone, and, and also, you know, you talked about in the scene where Jesse is sort of giving it to the Mexican chemist. He has this, this nonverbal smirk on his face and it's just it's just a really powerful acting performance from Giancarlo Esposito and you know it's just uh, a great performance overall so I'll give it to him could not agree with you more you captured uh, everything uh, I think that I was gonna say about uh, Esposito's performance there so I agree that moves him into a uh, pretty high territory here with seven votes um, he is uh, in, a, in a solid fourth place behind Jesse Walton Skyler, but he's not too far behind Skyler. So it is conceivable that he catches her, although dun, 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 time would be running out as well for Giancarlo Esposito as Gus Fring. And I'll leave you with that. Uh, if we miss anything, breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Uh, let us know if you have any good stories about a uh, lilac-colored PT Cruiser uh, circa you know, 2000 two to 2011 i guess when this episode aired um josh did we miss anything i think that's it all right for breaking pod i'm zach and i'm josh have a great week